Hi, this is Michael Gord. I'm one of the co-founders of the Metaverse Group, where we're building the first vertically integrated real estate business focused solely on the Metaverse. When I listen to the Edge of NFT, I know that they're delivering amazing information you can use to accelerate your own journey into the digital world. So stay tuned. Hey, all you NFT curious listeners. Check out today's episode where we cover Metaverse Group and their vision for scooping up sweet properties in the virtual world. You'll also learn the profit margin potential on Swedish Fish and how it funded Michael Gort's early adventures. And you'll see why lawn mowing and babysitting is out and slinging NFTs is in for funding the teenage lifestyle. All this and more on today's episode of Edge of NFT. So keep your ears glued to this pod. Also, head on over to edgeofnft.com to sign up for our newsletter and learn about the latest tidbits and drops. Welcome to The Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger, the podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Today's episode features Michael Gord, co-founder of Metaverse Group, the first vertically integrated real estate company focused on the metaverse economy in the world. Michael is also the co-founder and CEO of the GDA group of companies, which are focused across capital markets, verticals in the blockchain industry. In addition, he is the managing director of the Digital Bits Foundation, the leading blockchain protocol focused on consumer digital assets. Michael has advised on over 20.5 billion in digital asset offerings, helped to secure over 5 billion in asset placements into the blockchain, and has worked with Fortune 500 companies and global governments. Michael was one of the first advocates for digital assets in Canada, built the first university communities for blockchains in Canada, and was the first enterprise blockchain developer that TD Bank hired. Through his initiatives, Michael has introduced digital assets to tens of thousands of people worldwide. And now he will introduce them to our audience. Welcome, Michael. Thanks, Ethan. Thanks, Jeff, for the introduction. And thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a pleasure. This is a show that we've been excited about. One, because one of our co-hosts, Jeff, has been in real estate his whole career. So I just wanted to see what kind of crazy conversation you guys had. But two, we heard about sort of this initiative when the press release first came out. And it seemed so crazy at the time. But man, over the last few months, this is like, yeah, of course, this is like happening now. Why why not? So super cool to learn more about what you have cooking, man. For sure. I've, I've got to say I have the same sentiment. When we introduced to the market, it was purely because we were bullish and we believed that at some time in the future, it would become valuable and that it would become desirable to participate. The speed that it has is surprising to me as well. Well, dude, look, you've been in and around finance, blockchain, investing for much of your career. How did you get interested in the metaverse and, and what led to the actual formation of Metaverse Group? So I've been as you as you identified into blockchain to digital assets for just my entire professional career. I'm a pretty diversified across the fungible side of the market. When I was fortunate to be at the ETH Waterloo hackathon when CryptoKitties was announced in 2017. So I became familiar with NFTs at the time that it came to market initially. But when that first happened, I was convinced that eventually NFTs were going to become popular, but I was certainly not convinced of the usefulness and the applications. Uh, my, my business partner, the other co-founder of the Metaverse Group, his name is Jason Cassidy. I believe he was also at that hackathon and we've been friends and, and colleagues on some various projects for a while. He was uh, investing quite heavily into NFTs and into the metaverse. And it was actually Dane's description of Decentraland and Sandbox and Somnium and, and just the his, his uh, perspective on the future of 
of the metaverse and virtual worlds is was compelling and convinced me that it was worth getting some exposure in. Cool. Yeah. Who knows where things like that are going to lead, right? Well, uh, let's get into a little bit more detail about that then. Metaverse Group, want to break it down a little bit for our listeners. At this point, how are you structured and what services are you offering? So we are uh, essentially a holding company of assets. The initial intention was to be a, and really that was just kind of throwing a dart on the wall. We believe that the future value of metaverse real estate would, in, would increase. And we wanted to build out, the, the long-term goal is to build out a Brookfields type business model for the metaverse. But initially, thought that a good place to start would be to have like a Remax type model helping people buy and sell virtual land. But we didn't really have a clear model as far as the economics. We just wanted to help people. So is it just like a traditional real estate closing where uh, the buyers and sellers sit down, there's a closing agent, a bottle of wine at the end of the transaction? (laughs) What does this look like? (laughs) We quickly realized that the real estate business model of making 2.5% on transactions that when we first started, we're like $500,000, $2,000 was not very interesting for either of us. We both have our gainfully employed with our, with our core businesses, and that is quite distracting. So for most people, we just, if people were in our network and looking for support, then we would just provide them that advice and not really, you know, we're considering that eventually this, the metaverse real estate is going to boom and, and we'll have a brand positioned at the middle of it. And then the, I guess over the next few months, as you guys identified, the value of metaverse real estate went up exponentially. So our relatively small portfolio of metaverse assets turned into quite a large portfolio of metaverse assets. And the types of conversations that we started to have were with larger investors, with real estate companies, with you know high network individuals looking to participate. So it's the case of a very well intentional right place at the right time. And you got in when you needed when you needed to get in to really stake your claim in the space. Yeah. Yeah. We just wanted to be first and we didn't know where we were gonna take the business. I mean, I think that we the brand metaverse we can take into every metaverse vertical. And we just wanted to be the first ones to introduce that brand metaverse and then we could take in different directions. But as we started to have these conversations, we identified that there's all these larger investors that are looking to participate. Now the value of buying estates is quite high. So it's no longer like a couple hundred bucks or a couple thousand bucks. It's now like tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars. And it'll think it'll soon be millions of dollars for estates. So the potential risk people are putting on the table is much higher. And people that are putting that amount of capital on the table, they want to get exposure to the metaverse, but not really manage their land, maintain their land, build on their land, generate revenue from their land. So we identified that we've been in this space for quite a while now, and we have a bunch of land that we can securitize into an investment product and that we can then, uh, instead of these high network individuals, our real estate funds or venture capitalists, instead of them wanting to buy and hold land but not build on it, they could invest into us to acquire lands, to build on our lands, to generate revenue through the buildings that we create or through the experiences that we create, and then to return those, a portion of of that revenue to the investors in a REIT-like model. So now what we are excited about doing is introducing the first metaverse fully metaverse-backed real estate investment trust. That's amazing. What does that look like in reality and how is it similar or different than uh, a standard real estate investment trust? Like, Give us a sense of the number of parcels of, of land you're purchasing, the relationship with the investors, the things that you think about on a day-to-day basis with this project. So the intention is for it to look as similar as possible. And with a traditional REIT, you're investing into real estate developers who have a track record of generating consistent annual yields. 
to build, to generate income through the buildings, or oftentimes there's already, there's already buildings that are generating a consistent yield for a decade. So I guess the difference is that this is way more of a, of a venture capital type rig model where in theory, the, the metaverse assets or the world could go to zero. That's not, whereas in the, in the real world, if you're buying a New York city REIT or a Canada REIT or a, you know, a REIT in a, in the real world, it's, it's reasonably likely that you'll earn your 3% or your 4% or your five or developing economies yields. For us, it's more of a, of a venture investment where we anticipate that not only, as mentioned, it could go to zero, which I don't think is possible, but you know, it is possible. But whereas traditional REITs are looking at a three, four, five, six, seven percent, depending on your risk tolerance and appetite, I think with the metaverse, the lands is reasonably likely to historically has gone up exponentially. I think it's reasonably likely that it continues to appreciate faster than traditional real estate as the number of users in the metaverse increases from 10,000 per month to, I think, it's the, just the next frontier of the internet. So the internet has about a billion users per day. I think the metaverse will have about a billion users per day. Just on the, the land appreciation side, I'm curious how the appreciation of land has occurred relative to the appreciation of the tokens around that land. Like, for example, the central land I don't know where it's at today. Maybe it's around 80, 90 cents. It's done quite a lot this year. Is the land within these metaverses appreciating faster? And then how do you get that return? Do you sell the land? Do you rent out the land? Are you building theme parks on the land? Should we host the Edge of NFT podcast on? Uh, on? Tell us a little bit more about sort of the economics and the appreciation. So good question. And that's something that we think about and talk about a lot. To the last question about should you host your podcast there, I think for sure. There's a bunch of buildings in Decentraland. I think specifically the Crypto Convention Center in Crypto Valley in Decentraland has screens that are available. So in theory, we could just share this Zoom link to the Crypto Convention Center. We can share on Twitter any domain name to be edge of nft.xyz i think the .xyz domain name is going to be very popular for the metaverse or it could be edge of nft.com slash metaverse or slash decentralized or anything and that link can bring you directly into the crypto convention center and in the crypto convention center we could have our like this same zoom call and people could be listening live which i think is actually a pretty good idea but to go back to your question about appreciation of mana, the, the currency, or sand the currency, or cubes the currency versus the land, the value of uh, mana or central land for sandbox and, and cubes for Somnium space, the appreciation opportunity as opposed to the land asset is a great question. Very simply put, they kind of mirror each other. But if you consider it a little bit more, and let's use traditional like the real world does as a case study, if you're investing into foreign exchange, like if you're holding the US dollar versus the Vietnam dong versus the Durham in the UAE versus the pound, you'll generate revenue based on the foreign exchange transactions. And perhaps you're like, if the US does really well and you're holding US dollars, then you'll earn a return on your income by holding US dollars. If you're investing into a REIT as well, that's maybe maybe a closer example, you're, you'll earn a good ROI as a, as a result of your REIT doing well. And fiat currency or REITs, especially public REITs or mana or sand or cubes are liquid. So you can hold $10 of mana or you can hold $1,000 of mana or you can hold $1,000 of a REIT or you can hold $1,000 or $10 of US dollars or Vietnamese dong or whatever asset class. And let me ask you, Ann, you talked about renting a little bit. Like, what the heck does it mean to rent in the metaverse? Like, what does that look like? Land is very scarce. So if you want to buy land, and using Decentraland as an example, the size, like the map of Decentraland is about the size of Washington, D.C. in terms of like square feet and meters. So if you want to invest into Washington, D.C., if, if, like if you bought into Washington, D.C., if you bought land there, 
before Washington DC became a city, then you'd be able to get blocks of land downtown, or you'd be able to get blocks of land where the universities are or where schools are or where shopping malls are. But after Washington DC is built, then there are landowners and then there's the landowners will do joint ventures oftentimes with the builders, where if you're an investor looking to buy a block of real estate downtown Washington, it's just not available. Or if you're looking to buy a shopping mall, it's not available because it's generating income. So, so back to the value of like mana and the value will approximately mirror each other, the value of land versus value of, of the currency. But because land is so scarce, if the interest in land goes up, and by the way, if you're trying to sell a block of land downtown Washington, there's also very few buyers. So it takes you some time, but it's land is much more scarce than mana. So using decentralized example. So if you like, you have to participate early, you have to buy a block of land downtown Washington, you need to have started before Washington was built. Otherwise, if you want to build in Washington, then there's the landowners and then there's the real estate developers where the landowners won't sell their land because it's generating income for them and you just can't participate. You can buy a REIT for Washington. But anyways, I've, uh, I think that that kind of explains it. I'll be done to go more into it. I will say I did buy a lot of real estate in Washington, D.C. over the last decade, but commercial uh, properties, but it is complex. There's no question about that. So, you know, but as, as far as renting, so now that land is, is quite expensive and especially like most businesses, I don't think are going to want to build an office building or buy enough land to build an office building or to build a financial district because they're not going to be betting fully on, on the metaverse put a hundred bucks or a couple hundred bucks into getting exposure. I think that a lot of businesses, that's going to become a lot, it's more reasonable for a lot of businesses to start participating. So why do a REIT and not just buy the token? Is it because there's going to be a point where the scarcity of land kicks into overdrive and the land is going to sort of at that point disengage from the token value? I think so. It's less liquid, but you're able to earn a, a significant, I think, ROI from it. And our intention is to build financial districts, is to build shopping malls, is to build arts and entertainment districts, is to bring enterprises into the metaverse through our land where they will not be able to purchase land because land will not be available. In Washington, very often there are sing- there's like villas, like there's single parcels of land that get sold. But if you try to buy shopping, like enough land for a shopping mall, you're going to be in the boonies unless, you know, maybe once a decade, there's a big transaction like that. Uh, well, we want to be the landowners that, that ha- have those experiences like financial districts, like shopping malls. And, you know, you have to hold land to do that stuff. But renting, what's super cool with Decentraland, if I, if I can uh, mention, is that when land first came out, it was only an X and Y coordinate. So you could get a parcel that was like 100 X coordinate, 76 Y coordinate or whatever numbers. Now there's a Z coordinate as well, which is if you build a building, you can still be like 176 coordinates or whatever, but there's a Z coordinate for different floors. So you can have someone rent out a floor where they have ownership of the experience on that floor in the building or on that piece of the parcel, piece of the estate for whatever amount of time where they can do whatever they want with that, with that piece of real estate for whatever amount of time, which I think is a pretty big innovation. Are we talking about air rights? Is it actually air rights there where someone could get a multiple owners vertically or is still a single owner up into the vertical space? Yeah, multiple owners vertically. So you can have a building with like a commercial building with, or a residential apartment building or a shopping mall. And you can have owners, let's say you have 10 floors of your building, either 10 owners, like one owner of each floor, or you could break up the floor into different sections. But it's becoming a lot more granular, the ownership metrics of, of real estate, which creates the renting market a lot easier. I just have to interject with this question. We're clearly bullish on this stuff and we love this conversation, but uh, Josh and I actually just went on an outdoor hike with some good friends the other day. 
And I heard a guy talking about how, you know, he thinks it's productive to be on the computer for a while. And then he realized he just got to get out and go for a run or a walk or something. I mean, clearly there's revenue streams coming in here, but I'm just curious, like of your perspective on like people having to tend to use screens or something that's like a little bit, it's just, it's a digital world and maybe getting tired of that and getting in and out of the quote unquote real world. Like how does this play into this and why is this stuff maybe still valuable even if people don't want to spend all of their time in that metaverse world. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, so I am pretty terrified of the ramifications of this. But with that said, I recognize that the world is going in this direction and I'd rather be investing into the future than wait for the future to exist, whether I'm participating or not. And in fact, if I'm invested, then I can perhaps alter it in whatever way is can provide value to the world. And the reason why I'm so bullish on, on this becoming mainstream is that right now, a billion people in the world or whatever number of billions of people in the world live on a dollar or $2 or $3 a day and don't know where their next dollar or meal is going to come from. Well, in the metaverse, there's one in, in Decentraland and some of the sandbox and whatever metaverse, there's going to be conferences, events, meetups, festivals, uh, going on 24-7. And there's going to be entirely new business models that are created for participating in these business models where, for example, if event organizer is organizing 100 events in a year and you go to each event, you can get a proof of attendance NFT. Uh, if you go to all 100 of those events and you collect all 100 or all 10 or all 200, you guys can start to consider the you know, the flexibilities of the economics here, then all 100 NFTs can be redeemed for a gram of gold or an ounce of gold or for food for the next, you know, each proof of attendance represents food for the day, just how valuable is an eyeball. And if a conference organizer or a meetup organizer or whatever is festival organizer is getting eyeballs from around the world and, you know, people are participating then I think it's reasonably likely that people will be able to earn a much better income uh, living in the metaverse than they will be able to living in whatever country, whatever situation they happen to be in, which I think is pretty valuable. Another pretty fundamental reason is that I'm fortunate to be from Toronto and Ford in Canada, which has a pretty developed capital market and a pretty good standard of living. And if for example, I was born and the internet uh, democratized access to communication. So in theory, anyone in the world can send an email to investors in Silicon Valley or investors in New York or investors in Toronto or in London or in anywhere. But, you know, if, if you're fortunate to actually live in Silicon Valley or New York or Toronto or to have a passport that can take you to these cities, so you can actually show up and knock on an investor's door or knock on an employer's door, or just knock on someone's door, that adds tremendous value. Or if you're from one of these cities and you send an email on LinkedIn, then it's reasonably likely that if you're in the same city as someone, that they're going to respond to you, or much more likely. If you were born in a country that doesn't have the same, as you could say, economic power and doesn't have the same passport that can take you to these cities or don't have the economic ability to go to these cities, then although they have the same democratized access to communication and they can send the same LinkedIn message to the same person in the same city as I can or as, as you guys can, it's much less likely that that person will respond just given the world and they don't have the luxury of being able to show up. The metaverse democratizes access to showing up. So you could live anywhere in the world and you might not be able to hop on a plane and knock on a door but you can certainly get access to a computer and on that computer, you can show up to an investor's office in the metaverse and you can knock on their door in Decentraland, which I think is, is that democratized access to showing up is very valuable. I see where you're going with this. I mean, I really enjoy working with young people now. I've noticed I've got people I'm working with that are in India and Turkey and Africa and China, you know, through the internet. And I can see that they're getting access to a lot of great stuff through just the internet, right? But I see where you're going with the metaverse concept. 
I, I know we're curious more about even acquisition criteria that you have about properties and things like this. Oh, by the way, just I forgot what I was going to say. I could see these young people, just like young people do in the quote unquote real world, become a real estate agent, right? Like it could be a new job that we see a market for a young person and that they could be in a developing country and being able to show up and introduce people to new things could be a, a really interesting way. So if they're showing people something, what are the acquisition criteria that you look for? Yeah. So for us, we are keen to get exposure across the whole scope of, of the metaverse. Um, and I think at least in this first product and to provide investors with like a full picture of the metaverse. So they don't need to think about the world. They don't need to think about land. It's, it's diversified. In the future, we intend to have more focused products on specific worlds. Right now, we are about 50 to 60 percent in Decentraland, then about 25 to 35 percent in 25 to 30 percent in Sandbox, um, 15 percent approximately in Somnium space. And then we have a tail end of of investments of a few percent. Right now, we are focused on building and monetizing on some of our estates in first Decentraland. And the reason why for Decentraland is that I think that it's reasonably likely it'll be the fastest to be adopted as there starts to be music festivals, as it starts to be um, conferences slash meetups, which are already happening, but I think they're going to start to happen every day. So we have some really exciting news that's coming in or coming out soon in the next weeks about some of our first builds that are bringing some, you know, world's first enterprises, capital groups, funds, blockchain companies, et cetera, into also entertainment companies, you know, just an ecosystem of, of enterprises that are, uh, that we're bringing into the metaverse. And we start to monetize and prove out the normal of our land. We're keen to build out experiences for to a financial center, entertainment center, or arts and entertainment center, gambling center. We have a lot of plans for, for builds. During that, we are also finalizing our reach structure to begin to accept external capital. Our portfolio with a heavier weight in Decentraland, moderate in, uh, in Sandbox, in some mute space, and then a tail end of, of up and coming metaverses that, that we are, that we're bullish on. Yeah, man. So like one thing, and we didn't even say it from the top, I guess it, it goes without saying, but every piece of property within these metaverses is an NFT, right? Just for, for our listeners benefit here, just across the board, like to be really clear, we jumped right in on it. But for people that are just kind of getting into the various metaverses out there and trying to figure out how to purchase property, we talked about criteria a little bit, but what advice do you have for folks just getting into it? Like, what should they be thinking about? What should they be doing? How do you get started? It's overwhelming. Yeah, so it depends on the world. I am most focused on Decentraland, and I've been generally using Decentraland as an example. Sandbox, Jason has a lot more exposure, and some of you I also have some, some exposure in. And the, the tail end is, I guess, distracting to, to talk about, but a couple things I think to consider about Decentraland that is you could, you could also, you know, kind of replace it for, for Sandbox Insomnium. Um, but Decentraland has a bunch of districts that all already exist. So it, depending on what experience you're looking to create, it's reasonably likely that there's a district that has something similar. So for example, if you're trying to build an experience for gambling, then there's Vegas City. Just There's a district called Vegas City that is going to have a lot of foot traffic to uh, people that want to gamble. So if you, you know, if you are an enterprise, then perhaps getting exposure inside the district, but either way, it's uh, the closer you are to the city for gambling uh, experience, the more likely you're going to get organic foot traffic, similar to music, similar to fashion, similar for business. If you're looking at a new business district, then Crypto Valley is like the Silicon Valley and Decentraland. So considering what builds already exist and then looking to get an experience or looking to get land, depending on the experience you're looking to create uh, and, and it's close proximity to a district that already is or experience it doesn't even need to be a district. If you know that a large, or if you know that 
you know, an individual is already building something that is going to have value in whatever piece of whatever state, then getting land close to them or beside them is going to mean that your land is close to or beside something that has value, which is going to make your land more valuable. Also for Decentraland, you can teleport anywhere and you can mirror that with Sandbox and Somnium. Like if you, you can see on the Somnium map, and there's a Decentraland map, like who has what estate. So if you see that a company that you're working with or that you would like to work with estate somewhere in Sandbox and you can get land beside them or close by, it's reasonably likely that that will, you know, that that will be positively reflected in the value of, of your land as well. This is less of a problem in Somnium or in uh, Sandboxes and Insomnium. Sandbox, you can only teleport. You can't really walk around, I believe. But in Decentraland, there's a road system. So if you have estates or proper uh, or parcels or, or land that is connected to the road, that's much more valuable because you'll have people, you'll have foot traffic walking around that can see your experience. If you purchase a piece of land or an estate that is quote unquote landlocked, that is not connected to a district or connected to a road, then you could have the people that, or the person that owns the land around you build a wall so that there's no way for anyone to get into your piece of land. It's fully closed, which means the only way that people could see your experience is if they teleport in or if they click in through link, which might not be desirable and would probably decrease the value of your property if there's a, a brick wall that's around it or something similar to that. Yeah. It's like so many like lessons from the real world of real estate, right? But layered on top of this virtual layer, which just, you know, everything you're talking about, which I think is is really great for our listeners to, to understand. I mean, it's a lot of gamification, right? Like the rules of the world that you're operating within and this intersection of gaming and real estate is so interesting to me uh, to hear you articulate these different points. And I think it's probably still a bit of a blank canvas, right? So much of the rules are being written and the value is being created just now. We're just starting to kind of do this. So it's, it's really cool. Yeah, definitely. A lot of it is being written. And I think that as you, as you, I think correctly identified, a lot of the initial rules are being taken and perhaps altered or perhaps built upon from the traditional real estates with new interesting economic models, like with, uh, with the central line, because it's code, it's not actual bricks to put up a brick wall is just code. You don't actually need to put up a brick wall. And then if you want to take down your brick wall, it's also just code. So you can put up another experience in the next day. But yeah, it's, it's, I think that, you know, we're really, there's going to be thousands of business models to get created through the metaverse and we're really just scratching service. Yeah, along those lines, one more question here is in terms of what sort of additional metaverses besides the ones that you mentioned that you're already invested in, are you keeping your eye on other metaverse games and other sort of metaverse related applications, projects that you're also excited about? Yeah, so games I'm I'm pretty excited about. Like I think uh, Axie Infinity Although we're, we're not investing in that, has, has really proven out the model of, of, of metaverse games and generating income through those metaverse games. Chain games in Decentraland has, has also really proved out the model of, of providing infrastructure to gaming websites. And is there a metaverse concept that's in its infancy that you have your eye on that you'd like to see sort of add a new layer of sophistication to the metaverse landscape? Good question. I think that something I saw recently that was just introduced is CyberCon has just had their NFT drop that had gas transactions up to $90,000 to participate, which is a little bit insane, but it was creating a, an NFT representing a unique avatar. So as there starts to be essentially billions of people in the metaverse every day, Seven so, you know, people will pay essentially, you know, extremely large sums of money to get the newest car or to get the newest clothes or to get unique one of one or signed clothes or signed memorabilia or whatever. So CyberCons, I think, was the first example of an NFT that could be could become your metaverse avatar. So you could walk around the metaverse with a 
custom, unique avatar that I think is really good, a really good example. We're also quite invested into a protocol called uh, Digital Bets that is bringing big organizations like AS Rome as public called soccer team into the metaverse. And I'm, I'm also very excited about uh, next generation Ethereum protocols like Tron that are building their own metaverses. But with Metaverse Group for today, we are primarily focused on land, but we do intend to, or, or I would like to get more exposure across the full scope of the metaverse with things like the things like Avatar and games and, uh, and the other topics that Dungeon mentioned. Well, that sounds great. We're really excited to see what you're up to next. And we're going to keep tracking this aspect of the NFT space very carefully. We got several guests coming up that are doing different adjacent things with related to the metaverse. And so this conversation was a great precursor for our listeners for what's to come in, in the next few weeks. Yeah, for sure, man. We really appreciate it. It's so great to hear about the metaverse group and, and everything you got going on. Real estate's near and dear to my heart for sure. And we, we think here that it's a big opportunity for the future of really crypto NFTs, the entire space. Hello, Explorer at the Edge of NFT and many other things, I'm sure. Put down that dish you're watching. Take a quick pause in your run. Grab your phone off the dashboard and pull over. Go to edgeofnft.com superworld. Here's why. You're not just a spectator, but someone who wants to dive in and co-create new exciting worlds together with trailblazing leaders like our guests. And the latest greatest opportunity to do so that you need to know about is in Superworld, an augmented reality virtual world consisting of more than 64 billion virtual land plots mapped geographically to the actual surface of our beautiful home planet Earth. As we speak, bold new pioneers are literally breaking digital ground, snatching up 100 meter by 100 meter plots of virtual NFT backed land, land which entitles them to a share of all revenues generated on their Superworld plots. This means that as Superworld grows in population and activity, you as virtual landowner can actually earn a share of all advertising, gaming, commerce, analytics, and data associated with your plot. It's pretty cool. If you want to join us in owning a part of this special new world, visit our referral link edgeofnft.com slash superworld to join us in Superworld as a member of the Edge of NFT family. And because we are so very excited to welcome you, every fifth person to join us using this link will receive some really cool Superworld swag, compliments of Superworld and Edge of NFT. Visit edgeofnft.com slash superworld to get started, support the show, and show your enthusiastic appreciation for Superworld, our groundbreaking sponsor. So now's the time we like to transition a little bit and get your personal perspective on a couple of things. It's Edge Quick Hitters. They're a fun, quick way to get to know you a little better. Ten questions. We're looking for short, single word or few word responses, but feel free to expand if you get the urge. You ready to dive in? Sounds good. Let's do it. And also, thank you guys. I, I appreciate you both. And I think the more people need to know about this stuff, it's pretty disruptive. So, you know, hats off to you guys. Right on. I no, appreciate Thanks, it, man. Thanks. Thanks so much. Okay. Question number one. What's the first thing you remember ever purchasing in your life? Gum, candy. Any particular uh, brand or type you, uh, you had a liking for? The uh, Hubba Bubba gum and like the five cents, <laughs> five cents, like, Sour candies. Nice, nice. nice. Candy to go to. Solid. Question number two. What's the first thing you remember ever selling in your life? Candy. We're detecting a thief. Candy dealer. I would have probably bought some Swedish fish off of you. That was my addiction. (laughs) It's funny. I didn't consider it as a business, but I remember as as a child, I would get a bunch of candy and then people would want some candy. And embarrassingly, I would buy candy for five cents and sell it for 10 cents. (laughs) <laughs> there it is. That's where it starts, guys. Question number three. What's the most recent thing you purchased? A bus ticket, but more exciting. Board mummies waking up. Uh-oh. What's that? <laughs> we got to know. We got we to dig deeper on that. Tell us about this one. It's a avatar NFT company, I guess. It's kind of like CryptoPunks or like board apes. And that's something fun. Awesome. It sounds like a fun one. We'll have to research that one. Number four. What is the most recent thing you sold? Good question. I don't know, crypto. Yeah, some kind of crypto out there. Okay, cool. Number five, what's your most prized possession? My life. That works. It definitely works. 
<laughs> Number six, if you could buy anything in the world, digital, physical service experience that's currently for sale, what would that be? Infinite intelligence or a rocket ship and understanding of rocket science. Nice, nice. Infinite intelligence. We haven't had that one before. That's a good one. We have I don't not. know if that's purchasable. Just wait. Neuralink is almost here, guys. It's coming. <laughs> so that's cool stuff. Number seven, if you could pass on one of your personality traits to the next generation, what would that be? Think and then do that. But thinking. Very solid. We'll see that all too often with some age groups. <laughs> Number eight, if you could eliminate one of your personality traits from the next generation, what would that be? I'm uh, eternally optimistic or I'm uh, sometimes distracted. Distracted is, uh, yeah, just let's go with distracted. Okay. We got question number nine. What did you do just before joining us on the podcast? I drove from Como to Milan. Sounds like fun. Great Traveling road trip. man. Indeed. All right. Last one. Question number 10. What are you going to do next after the podcast? I'm going to go, I'm a triplet. I'm going to go meet my brother and sister. A triplet? Awesome. Wow. Interesting, interesting fact. Indeed. Yeah, that's very cool, man. Well, hey, thanks for indulging us, man. That was a quick hitters. That's a wrap on that section. Hi there. Let me interrupt one sec with a special secret. Here at Edge of NFT, we want to loop you in on the best kept secrets in NFT right now. So this might be the first time you've heard of it, but you need to know about Koi, especially if you are a creator or even if you're just a supporter of groundbreaking projects. You need to dive into Koi ASAP and you can do so absolutely for free. Here is the best way. Go to edgeofnft.com slash Koi. That's edgeofnft.com slash K-O-I-I, two I's. There you can find out how to install the Finichrome plugin, publish your first 50 NFTs for free, and start earning Koi whenever anyone visits your NFTs. Imagine a world where sites like Facebook and Instagram would allow creators to earn every time their posts are viewed. This is what Koi is built to support. Plus, Koi is built to scale globally without killing the planet. Go to edgeofnft.com slash Koi, install the Finichrome plugin right now, publish your first 50 NFTs for free, and start earning Koi today. You want to dive in and, uh, and hit some hot topics? Sure. Let's right. do it. Good questions, by the way. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Good answers. All right. First hot topic here. No more adventures in babysitting. The headline is teens cash in on the NFT art boom. So forget mowing lawns, bang groceries. Some Gen Z kids are finding their ways to make money this summer. Last fall, Randy Hipper decided to, as she put it recently, go in depth with the crypto space. After hearing about NFTs on Twitter and other social media platforms, Ms. Hipper, a then 17-year-old senior at Xavier in High School in Brooklyn, began releasing her own digital artworks, cartoonish and self-referential piece, pieces showing her cruising in a car with a Bitcoin license plate or riding the Coney Island Wonder Wheel. I mean, just like anything, kids get it. They get the new things a lot quicker. They don't have a lot of the biases in place. I'm sure there's some kids that are totally behind on this just as well. But the ones that are ahead are mining it for all it's worth. Dude, they, we, we alluded to it earlier, right? I mean, there's no like reason why a 15-year-old couldn't be a, a real estate agent slinging real estate up in one of those metaverses, right? Like, why not? There's so many opportunities there. I mean, a lot of these kids that have been messing around in, in this space for a while probably know more than the other maybe 95% of the people in crypto even, right? You got to spend some time in there to get to know it. So pretty interesting. It's true. Every person on this show was an entrepreneur from birth and started buying and selling something when they were a teenager or even younger. So it's just natural that this sort of virtual candy store opportunity when it comes to NFTs and the metaverse is going to be something they focus on. I think this is a radical shift in the global economy, though, because of the potential upside it's available instead of like our guests here making five cents of profit on some candy, you can make $5,000 or $50,000 or more on what you sell in the metaverse based on playing games, earning NFTs. So I think this is just the beginning of some really radical shifting in our society based on what's possible and available to teenagers. Yeah, but look, babe, we can't knock the five cent profit. That's a hundred percent you know, yeah. uh, yeah. improvement there on price. <laughs> and it's a volume game, man. We all know that, right? Come on. I just said, yeah, they, 
is a, there's some scalability issues there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Michael, have you seen anything? No, no pressure to come up with something on the spot, but have you seen anything interesting, particularly from young folks in, in the digital real estate space? Um, not in the digital real estate space, but yeah, across the board, I've hosted a lot of hackathons and high school kids participate with some mm-hmm. super innovative stuff, end up raising capital. I actually just met a 23-year-old that yesterday, two days ago, that is doing AI for the for governments around the world, US, Europe. I mean, the, the barrier to access information is now non-existent and schools aren't teaching you disruptive technology or innovation. Michael knows it, but he bought his last casino from a 16-year-old in Kenya. <laughs> she doesn't know it. <laughs> Quite possible. Awesome. That's really fascinating. You've got to introduce us to this kid. Okay, next one on, to, on the, the chopping block here. Louis Vuitton's mobile NFT game hits 500,000 downloads in the first <laughs> week. Okay, take it or leave it, guys, uh, on, on a mobile <laughs> game for Louis Vuitton. It's- Are you in? Not good. Not good. Terrible game. <laughs> You've played Sorry, it? it? Sorry, I'll be. Yeah, I tried it. <laughs> Great. Right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to piggyback off of Michael's response. We got to leave it. We got to leave it. But I do know that Louis Vuitton's story is kind of cool, though. I mean, this guy, like, originally, like, way back in the day, like, in France, I guess, like, worked his way up. He was, uh, like, I think he lost his parents, like, super early in life and somehow hooked up with kind of ruling party and was, like, making, I think it was, like, making, like, suitcases. Like, he may even be credited with, I think, making like the the kind of modern rectangular suitcase because prior to that they were these like dome shaped things right it's actually a really interesting story the louis vuitton story it, it didn't become i think the luxury brand we know now until i think it was like maybe his son and and the following generation uh, grew it but really cool interesting story should it be a nft game i don't know but five hundred thousands big number it looks like a lot of the traffic for this game has come from china they're doing some pretty advanced stuff in shopping. I heard recently about a trend of sort of... I just acute- have to make the joke. They're just doing research for their Louis Vuitton mobile game knockoff, just like they do the <laughs> purse knockoff. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Sorry, sorry Josh. Maybe it, it's possible. I think the thing that's happening though in China, which I learned about recently from someone I met at an NFT gallery, is that sort of the streaming, the QVC streaming experience of buying in real time is very popular in China. And, you know, my only sort of insight here is that they love to shop and they like concepts around shopping. So for them, this was an exciting game. For me, I'm happy to leave it at the shopping center. Yeah, we're all going to leave this one. So let's leave it and let's move on to the next one. (laughs) Hot topic follow-up. This is something we just talked about recently. So Fortune Magazine did some NFT action here. They raised 429 Ether about 1.3 million in their first ever NFT sale. The experiment consisted of two parts. First, Fortune sold a set of 256 limited edition, power of two, right? 256 NFTs of its latest cover art designed by the digital artist People Pleaser, who we've had a, a panel with previously and hope to have on soon. Each tokenized piece was priced at one Ether, the basic unit of the cryptocurrency Ethereum art. We know that, or around 3,000 a pop. The lot sold out in a few minutes, as noted in Fortune's data sheet newsletter, the lowest price at which anyone is reselling a copy is now seven times the original listing, quite a bump. Half the proceeds will go to nonprofits. Great Yeah, job. man, so this is a good follow-up. Yeah, People Pleaser, again, crushing it. She's like killing it just across the board. It's awesome. And really setting an example for other folks bringing kind of digital art into the mainstream, really. So good for her, man. Really awesome. Yeah, she's very savvy. Good fortune. I think in general, the scenery that every brand, every person is going to be in 10 FTs. It's just a matter of time. But for the big brands that are able to capitalize a big chunk of, of revenue as a result of these kind of goofy blockchain integrations, like putting your cover on, on the blockchain and earning a mill. I mean, it's great business and I think they continue to do it. And I think that it's reasonably likely that they'll continue to, if they get NFTs, that they can provide uh, unique experiences that are valuable to their collectors. And I think that all the friends in this that are doing so much of this should give back to, to charity as a result of, you know, that's just so simple for them. And they are, yeah, they should give back. So I like that. 
Yeah, there's always the possibility that NFTs, well, actually, I think we know that they're not going to go to zero on this show, but <laughs> but some of these projects, of course, that get a lot of hype or a lot of money could possibly go to zero, put it that way. But definitely a positive here is any money that's been raised for charity in any of, of these processes can never be seen as going to waste. And that's really excellent to know about that that's going on. We've talked on the show a lot about community and branding and other aspects of what sort of these NFT collectibles, what makes them strong. You know, just from a little bit, I know I know of People Pleaser. That's one thing I've noted about her. She's got a nice community following. You know, comes across as a very genuine, humble person. I think that people kind of respect the way that she's kind of handling, dealing with the community that's building around her artwork. Um, pretty cool stuff. Any comments on that one, Josh? Should we wrap it up? Nothing to add. Sounds good. Okay. Awesome. Cool. So I yeah, think let's that, do... uh, I think the two things that that a creator needs to consider for their collectors is just I think for the most part is to want to provide long term value to your collectors. So for a business like Fortran or for for Louis Vuitton, uh, it's easy for them to provide potential long term value. They understand the they understand NFTs then. You end up with, let's say you sell a thousand NFTs and you have a thousand blockchain entries. You can forever communicate with those individuals over the blockchain and send them potentially priceless, fungible or non-fungible assets or potentially priceless experiences or access in the real world for them providing you early support. So yeah, just really is about uh, treating That's your a great community point. well. At any given time, right? Like you can always give something of value. That was the gift goat. That was the chosen NFT that Joel Kahn chose to get from Gary Vee's collection, right? Sort of like a promise of just future gifts, right? Who knows what they're going to be, but he knew they were going to be valuable. Cool, man. Should we wrap it up, Jeff? Yeah, I think so, man. You know, before, well, one, again, just to get, thanks for all the insights, you know, Michael, super valuable information. We know our listeners have been really pumped. We get uh, tons of feedback about metaverse, virtual real estate, digital assets within that space. So, Great to learn more about it and how you're thinking about it. But where can people go to follow you and your, your projects to learn more? Twitter is probably the best. Bitcord on Twitter. Awesome. Great. So I think we have a little giveaway we want to put together for our listeners. Um, you want to um, share a little bit, Michael, about what we got in store for them? Yeah, we can do $100 in an XDB, which is digital asset that we're quite invested into and working quite closely with that is also, as, as I mentioned, bringing a lot of multinational organizations like, like AS Roma's public into the, to the metaverse, which is, which is pretty exciting. Um, yeah. Also has NFT capabilities. So I would suggest for the audience to look out for that. Awesome. Yeah. So we'll put some details out on our socials with how to participate in a little contest for that giveaway. We appreciate it, man. Thanks so much. Yeah. It sounds like a really interesting project. Obviously not financial advice, but something for everyone to look into and consider. Indeed. Okay. Well, we've reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs for today. So thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventures on this starship. So invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey all so much better. How? Go to iTunes right now, rate us and say something cool. Then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. Want to help co-create Edge of NFT? Got guests you want to see on the episode? Questions for hosts or guests? An NFT you'd like us to review? Drop us a line at contact at edgeofnft.com or tweet at us at edgeofnft to get in the mix. Lastly, be sure to tune in next week for more great NFT content. Thanks again for sharing this time with us today.